actually pick up at the tail end of chapter 15 as we work our way through this great uh, book of Scripture this school year. We, we didn't quite cover the whole of chapter 15 the last week, so we'll start at the end of that, but then most of what we're going to consider is going to be chapter 16, and we're coming with that to the, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. We already... Yeah, it'll, it'll run uh, quite a ways in Acts, but we, we saw, just remember the first missionary journey, just to pick up where we are. Uh, on that first missionary journey in chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas had traveled through, it was a shorter trip, uh, but they had traveled through some predominantly Gentile cities, found, uh, made believers in, in, in those cities, started churches in those cities. Then they came back to Antioch to the church where they'd sent them out, and they, they reported all that God had done in those cities and about how many Gentiles had come to, to saving faith uh, on that missionary journey. Well, as they were reporting how many Gentiles were coming to faith, some Jews who had come to faith in Christ uh, began to dispute with them on the very basic issue of how does a person become a Christian? Right? And, and some of the Jews, especially the Pharisees who had come to faith in Christ, were convinced that for Gentiles to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they too had to be circumcised, had to keep the law of Moses, which was most definitely not the gospel that Paul had been preaching in all of those cities. And so they convened a council in Jerusalem. And that, that's what we find in Acts chapter 15, which we looked at last week. And, and uh, Paul and Barnabas presented their case, the Jews presented their case, and James and Peter and the other apostles agreed with Paul and Barnabas that all one needed to be saved was to repent of sins and to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone came out of that council in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. It's not surprising that on the heels of of that council in which that was the the topic is right after that that Paul would have penned his letter to the Galatians and if you read that it's about as clear as any letter he wrote on that very issue we're saved by faith alone apart from the works of the law well by the time we get to our passage for today a couple of years have gone by and Paul's about to embark on his second missionary journey it's much longer than the first it's going to cover um it's going to take some like three years to to complete this journey and the description of those events are going to take us from the end of chapter 15. Uh, they'll, they'll actually set foot off in, um, in, in verse 40 and run all the way through near the uh, middle to the end of chapter 18. Just to put a time stamp on this, um, this, this uh, journey took place, most scholars agree, from AD 49 to 51. So 49 to 51. And by the time this journey was complete, he would have written his letter, Paul would have written his letter to the Galatians. And also, uh, more than likely, uh, his first two letters to the Thessalonians. He visits Thessalonica on this journey in chapter 17. And during this three-year journey, he writes both first and second Thessalonians. But as they start out on this journey, which we're going to read in just a minute, uh, it's going to describe to us the events that... Uh, that, that brought them to the city of Philippi and what happened there in the city of Philippi. It's a great chapter, so let's, let's do what the Lord said and not neglect the public reading of his word, and let's read it together. We'll begin in chapter 15, verse 36. 
and read through the end of chapter 16. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Remember, those are cities he visited on the first missionary journey. A disciple was there uh, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. That would be the events of Acts 15. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to, uh, to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on uh, into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct uh, voyage to Samothrace and made the, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Uh, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for, for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once with he and all his family then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he he had believed in God but when it was day the magistrates sent the police saying let those men go and the jailer reported these words to Paul saying the magistrates have sent to let you go therefore come out now and go in peace then but Paul said to them they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and now and do they now throw us out secretly no let them come themselves and take us out I love Paul uh, the the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens so they came and apologized to them <laughs> and they took them out and asked them to leave the city so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Father, we've done what you've commanded and, and uh, read aloud your word in the hearing of the gathered church. And what we've just read, Lord, we confess our faith is your holy, inspired, inerrant, uh, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And as we, as we think together about what you've what you've left us here um, i pray father that you would give us eyes to see the truth give us minds to understand and, and and understand clearly what you've told us here give us not just minds to understand but hearts to embrace and love the truth and wills to obey whatever you call us to do and give us all ears to hear and give me the help that i need to teach in christ's name amen all right um there are so many interesting things in this chapter. Uh, it, start, it starts with, back at the end of chapter 15, with uh, Paul and Barnabas actually having a, a fight <laughs> about whether or not to take Mark. Th this is the Mark who would eventually write a gospel bearing his name. And uh, what, what instigated that fight uh, was, a, was, a, was a disagreement over what had happened back in chapter 13. So hold your place here and just flip back to chapter 13 and remind ourselves why they were having this disagreement we didn't draw a lot of attention to it when we were here a couple of weeks ago but looking at at chapter uh, 13 Paul and Barnabas were sent off on their first missionary journey and if you look at the very last verse of chapter 12 you see that John whose other name was Mark joined them on that first missionary journey incidentally you don't have to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, we learn that Mark was Barnabas' cousin. <laughs> so this is cousin Mark coming along the, 
the first missionary journey with Paul and, and Barnabas. You're looking at uh, chapter 13, you see in verse 5 that uh, Mark was there to assist them when they were proclaiming uh, the word of God in the synagogue, so he was helping them. He was joined in on the work when they were there in Cyprus. But then there's this seemingly throwaway comment down in verse 13 where it says, uh, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, that is Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So Mark, for reasons that were not told, abandoned them and abandoned the work. And we're going to find out, you can turn back to 15, um, we're going to find out that this did not sit well with, with Paul. Barnabas, being Mark's cousin, was a little more eager to forgive him. Mark, uh, Paul, not so much. Barnabas wanted him to go on this second missionary journey. Paul was like, nah. So Barnabas and Mark went back to Cyprus. Paul said, I'm going to take Silas with me, and they go on the sec, uh, second missionary journey. Let me just pause right here because it's kind of unusual to see Paul and Barnabas, two believers, just having a fight with each other right here. Um, it does come full circle. Paul does reconcile with, with Mark. In fact, uh, you learn from later, letter, later letters that Paul wrote that you see, you, that's how we know this, in, in the book of Philemon, which I know some of you probably read regularly. Um, he calls Mark uh, one of my fellow workers, right along with Luke even. And in the last letter that he ever wrote that we know, 2 Timothy, wrote to Timothy, He's an old man. He's awaiting trial in Rome before Caesar. Last chapter of his last letter, um, he tells Timothy this. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. So they mended fences at some point, but not in our passage today. <laughs> uh, like I said, Paul and Silas are now traveling together. They're going to pick up Timothy in one of those cities they had gone through before. And also, they're going to pick up Luke. Luke, you know, wrote this book that we're, we've been studying through. He wrote Acts, and, and, and they're going to pick him up. Well, his name doesn't appear in this chapter, so how do you know they pick him up? Well, if you'll notice, if you're looking, uh, if you'll notice right around verse 10, and something changes, and instead of saying, they did this and they did that, it starts saying, we did this. And they, they didn't, God didn't call them to preach. They called us to preach. And so... Uh, it's now we and us instead of they and them. So apparently Luke is now with them. And he's writing from this point on, he's writing things not from what he has heard from Paul and others, but he's writing things that he himself as an eyewitness participated in. So this is a fascinating chapter. And some of the most well-known stories in Acts are in this one chapter. You could almost pluck any of these stories out and spend a whole morning on it. There's no way that we're going to uncover every curiosity here. So I looking for something that might unify all of these different stories, uh, I think a legitimate thing that you can glean from all of these, this in this, this in this chapter is how the Lord builds his church. How the Lord builds his church. Because that's what we see happening here in Philippi. A church is started. Uh, there was no church there at the beginning of the chapter. And by the end of the chapter, there is a small church there meeting in Lydia's house. How did that come about? What did God use in this chapter to build his church there in Philippi? And uh, I think as you look at this chapter, there are uh, at least three ways that God builds his church. Not the only three ways, but three ways that God builds his church that we see here in chapter 16. 
First, I want us to see that God builds his church through our willingness to go. We'll see that mainly in the early verses through verse 10. Um, Yeah, our willingness to go. And then second, right around the middle of the chapter, I want us to see that, uh, I want us to see God's power to save in building his church. We see that illustrated uh, in, this, in the middle of the chapter with this account, account with Lydia. God's power to save. Not just our willingness to go, but we need his power to save when we go. And then finally, I want us to see through this latter uh, part of the chapter that God uses our perseverance in the building of his church. We'll see that mainly in the story of the Philippian jailer. So that's where we're going. That's the angle at which we're going to attack this chapter. And uh, let's see that first through our willingness to go. All right, we, we, we're told in the last verse of chapter 15, and then again in chapter 4 of, of uh, verse 4 of chapter 16, that Paul and Silas had a plan as they set off on this second missionary journey to go back through some of the cities that they had visited on the first and see how they were doing. They, they pick up Timothy there, and we're told in verse 5 that as they went through and, and encouraged them, verse 5 says that the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased uh, in numbers daily. But what I want to just, th- these curious verses is what I want to zero in on this in this point, is verses 6 and 7. I think they're interesting because twice we're told in verses 6 and 7 that they wanted to go into several different cities, but each time they set out, it says the Holy Spirit didn't let them. Right? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, so they don't go there. Then in verse 7, they say, where do we go? Well, they, let's go to Bithynia. Well, they, they come up to Mysia. They attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, we're not told why. I'm not really sure how the Holy Spirit prevents you from going somewhere. I'm sure the Holy Spirit has many ways he could do that. He could speak audibly from heaven. He could just arrange circumstantial uh, events to prevent you from going somewhere. We're not told how he prevented. I wouldn't spend a lot of time speculating on how. But what I do want to zero in on uh, in these two verses, aside from the bit about the Holy Spirit not allowing them to go to certain places, I want to, I for our purposes and for your purposes, I want you to ask you this question. Do you notice how Paul was trying to decide what to do next? It's essentially, we went here and here, and we tried to go over here, but we couldn't. So we tried to go over here, but we couldn't. So we went over there instead. Like, that's basically what he says. In other words, what did he not do when he was trying to do What did he not do? He did not stand still paralyzed for fear of making a decision, waiting on the Lord to tell him what to do next. Now, we're going to see in just a minute, the Lord does give him a vision to go to Macedonia, but that had not happened yet. And Paul was not simply waiting for fear of making a wrong decision before he made a decision, right? There is no, for fear he was going to make some decision that was completely put him out of the will of God. There was no hesitancy, waiting on the Lord's specific direction at every step. He knew that the Lord had commissioned him to to, to go and to preach, and so he was just going. He was just going. If something pre- prevented him from going one place, he just tried to go to the next. And if it prevented him from going from that place, he just went to the next. We don't have to sit paralyzed waiting on some wet or dry fleece from the Lord to know 
what to do. God has given us His Word. He's given us His commission. And He's given us a brain. So make a decision based on Scripture and go and do. And God will direct you on your path. Well, after this, Paul actually does receive uh, what is often called the Macedonian vision or the Macedonian call. He receives this at night. It's a dream of a, of a Macedonian man calling to them, come preach to us, come help us. Do notice, though, based on what I just said, God did this without Paul asking for it, did this without Paul seeking it out. Paul went to bed, he went to sleep, he had this dream, he woke up and said, man, that was from God. And we woke up, he knew it had been from the Lord. And we read in verse 10, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, for this, we're talking about God builds his church through our willingness to go. I want to point out two things about this verse. First, it specifically says... God, God wanted to build a church in Macedonia, in Philippi. And so to build that church in Philippi, it says specifically in that verse, God called us to preach the gospel to them. God called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a, there's a famous story about William Carey, who is known as the father of the modern missions movement. He lived from 1761 to 1832 in England. He was a Baptist. He was a shoe cobbler. And he felt the Lord calling him to missions, to take the gospel where the gospel had not gone. When he made known that he felt that to his church, uh, that, that call to go to India, one minister was purported to tell him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Now, that is true. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God can convert the heathen without your aid or mine. It's just that that's not how he has chosen to work. That's not how he has chosen to operate. He has chosen to save his people from every tribe and tongue through our witness, through our going. William Carey knew this. That didn't deter him when that man uh, supposedly said that. And one of his famous phrases that he often said was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. So in keeping with that, when God wanted to save the heathen, as that man would put it, in Macedonia, he called Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, go tell them, go preach to them. That's the first thing about verse 10. When God wanted to do his work there, he called men to take the message to do it. But then the second thing about verse 10 is that when God called them, it says, immediately, immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia. They did not hesitate to go. God, God doesn't write the gospel in the sky. He's been pleased to use us and our witness as, uh, as one of his tools to save and our testimony of our lives of the gospel. So that's the first thing. When God wanted to build a church in Philippi, the first thing he used was our willingness to go. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke's willingness to go. God, uh, God does not build a church without someone preaching the gospel. That's just a fact. God may prepare a people in advance of that gospel coming, 
He may prepare that people to receive that gospel, but no one is saved until the gospel arrives. So he builds a church through our willingness to go. But secondly, our witness alone won't do it. Our witness alone can't do it. I'm not that persuasive, I'm not that powerful, and neither are you. So the second thing he always uses is his power to save. God's power to save. Just because God uses us to preach the gospel doesn't mean that someone's salvation is dependent on our, 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 our delivery, our, our ability, or our persuasiveness. Paul knew that. He doesn't just say here, but he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear, much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Why did he make it a point to mention that there to them? He said in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we see that here in chapter 16 of Acts. Paul received this vision to go to Macedonia, to go to Philippi, and the next place we find him is in Philippi. And while he's there, it tells us in the middle of the chapter that he encounters a lady named Lydia. It says she was a, a seller of purple goods, which means that she was more than likely wealthy. It tells us that she was a worshiper of God, which tells us she was similar to Cornelius in chapter 10, who, who, uh, yeah, who, who was persuaded by Judaism perhaps had not converted officially to Judaism, but certainly didn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's why she was there praying and called a worshiper of God. Well, Paul preached to them, and we're specifically told in verse 14 that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Well, seeing that in the next verse, verse 15, that she is baptized... Uh, whatever the Lord did in her heart in verse 14 brought her to saving faith. That brought her to that point of being baptized in the very next verse. And that's, that's, that's clear if you look closer at, um, at verse 14. Just think about it. As, as Paul preached, it says that the Lord opened her heart. Opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. That implies two things. It, it implies that our hearts need to be opened when we hear the word. And secondly, it implies that we can't open our own hearts. If Lydia would benefit savingly from Paul's preaching, her heart needed to be opened because she couldn't open it, and the Lord did it. The Lord makes us responsive to his words. Our hearts, like Lydia's, are by nature dead to the gospel message. And if we would respond in repentance and faith like, uh, like Lydia did, the Lord has to come and, and soften our hearts and make us alive to respond in faith to the gospel. That's not what we're just reading out of this one verse. That's how Paul explains it again and again and again in his letters. The clearest example is Ephesians chapter 2, when God says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So he doesn't just make salvation possible through Jesus, hoping we will pull ourselves up and, and reach out and take it. He actually saves. He makes us alive so that we come. That's how he builds his church. Not only through our, our, our willingness 
to go and tell, but through his ability to save, moving our hearts to come in repentance and faith to Christ. What does that mean for you? It means that when you go, as he's called you to go, go confidently. Go confidently. Um, Go patiently. Because you know that as the word goes forth, his spirit goes forth with it. And there will be people who come to faith by God's doing. There's one more thing we see here in the, in the way that God builds his church. He doesn't just use our willingness to go. And when we go, come with it with his power to save. But he also uses our perseverance. Our perseverance um, to build his church. The, the most well-known story in this chapter, it takes up fully half of it, is the story of the Philippian jailer coming to faith in Christ. And a lot of, there's a lot of angles at which you could look at this, at this story of the Philippian jailer. You could, the, 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 the aspects that a lot of people, that catch your attention are uh, the earthquake. Wow, look at what God, he caused an earthquake to come and, and this dramatic thing and, and, and the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? In other words, your eyes get drawn to the earthquake and to the Philippian jailer. What I want to do, uh, and while that's legitimate, what I want to do is highlight and, and ask us to keep our eyes on Paul and Silas in this story of the Philippian jailer. Think of, keep your eyes on, on Paul and Silas in this, in this whole part of the chapter. Um, they had come under some intense and, and frightening persecution in Philippi. They are thrown in jail for, for preaching Christ. For specifically, they were for casting a, a demon out of a girl who was vocally opposing them. Someone might ask, uh, what, what, she was following them around saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And they go, what's wrong with that? Why was Paul annoyed with that? She was drawing attention to them, which could bring unwanted attention and unwanted trouble. It was dangerous for them to have someone following them around doing that. So they, threw, they, they cast the demon out of this woman who was a slave girl that her owners used as a fortune teller. She made her owners a lot of money doing this. And so when, when, when the demon was cast out of her, their source of income was gone. And they, that's when the trouble began for Paul and Silas. Um, just think deeply about how it all happened. I ask you some regularly to read the scriptures autobiographically. In other words, Put yourself in the situation. Imagine that that was you that they were doing this to. Okay? We're told in verse 19 that they were seized and dragged into the marketplace by the girl's owners. I don't know when the last time anyone dragged you anywhere. But that's not cool. And and they dragged them into the marketplace, which is where everyone would have been. That's where everyone would have been. That's the, that's the meeting place for the whole town. Right? So these men are being dragged into, into the middle of the whole town. And verse 22 says that the crowd joined in attacking them. A mob, drag you into the middle of the mob and let the mob do with you what they will. And it says they ripped their clothes off and beat them with rods. 
And it says that they had inflicted on them many blows. Well, just try to, try to put yourself in that, in that situation. How would, how would you have responded at that point? Think about that for a minute. And think about how Paul and Silas responded in that moment. The next thing we know, stripped naked, having been beaten with many blows by rods, they're now in prison, in the inner prison, with their feet in the stocks. They're chained to guards. And they are, according to verse 25... Praying and singing hymns to God. Think about how you would be responding. Keep your eyes on Paul. That's what they're doing. Now I want to point out two other things very quickly about this. First of all, you know the rest of the story. Earthquake. We're still here. What must I do to be saved? And um, like Lydia, before the Philippian jailer came to faith in Christ, what I want you to notice, first of all, though, is despite their hardships, despite their hardships, being beaten with rods, left uh, stripped naked before the whole town, they were still in a frame of mind to share the gospel when there was an opportunity. But then notice, second of all, the almost throwaway phrase that we see before that in verse 25. Look at that last phrase. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And the prisoners were listening. Now, we're never told if any of the other prisoners ever became Christians, but no doubt the joyful perseverance of Paul and Silas was a witness to them in that moment. By the end of the chapter, there's a small church meeting in Lydia's house. God had used the persevering witness of Paul and Silas to sovereignly build his church there in Philippi. So the Lord, no doubt, moves in ways that we don't even know about to build his church. I do know that he never moves savingly apart from the preaching of his word and the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we've seen in this chapter. The Lord uses the willingness of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to go and preach and to use their joyful perseverance through hardships that are difficult for us to imagine. And, and through those things, their witness and their perseverance in it, the Holy Spirit moved. And now a church was there. That pattern hasn't changed. It's the same today as it was then. We have the same commission to go and bear witness to Christ. And God promises to move still through our witness. That's true for you every day. It's also true as you prayerfully consider how you're going to spend your spring break. Or how you're going to spend your summer as we talked about earlier. God wants to use your persevering witness. As William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Let's pray.